0: It's New Comics Day, Wednesday, January 18th, 2016, and you're listening to God and Comics, the only podcast with an original score by film composer John Williams that is currently playing in the background at a frequency of 33,000 hertz. So if you're wondering why your dog is going crazy, now you know. <laughs> On today's show, we discuss the life and career... <laughs> Ah, there we are on today's show we discuss the life and career of legendary comic artist jack kirby we'll talk about the immense impact that kirby's work has had on popular culture even though most people today don't know his name and as always we'll throw in our recommendation and this or that to boot I'm your host, Father Jonathan Michigan. I am rector of Church of the Holy Comforter in Drexel Hill, Pennsylvania. On the line with me today is Father Matt Stromberg. Father Matt, where are you?
1: I'm at St. George's Episcopal Church in Schenectady, New York.
0: And believe it or not, friends, joining us again, Father <laughs> Kyle Tomlin. Where are you, sir?
2: I'm at Church of the Messiah in Fredericksburg, Virginia.
0: Wonderful. It's you know, it feels like it's been a long time, Father Kyle, so we're we're glad it that you're here.
2: It does. It's good
1: to be back.
0: Okay. Well, we have a lot to talk about with Jack Kirby, but first, we're going to do our recommendation. Take it away, Father Matt.
1: I'd like to recommend a book that's really gripped me like in the last 2 weeks. I I have a subscription to Marvel Unlimited, and so I'm always looking for uh, new books to sort of binge read. And I, I discovered, and I've been really delighted by a uh, Jonathan Hickman's uh, run on the fantastic four. It, it, I think it goes back to maybe 2012. So it's, it, it's, it's, it's a bit older now. Um, so all the, uh, ep- all the issues are up on Marvel unlimited and, and you could just read to your heart's desire it's a real feast. There's there's a lot to sort of dig into uh, with with this series. I've always been a huge Fantastic Four fan, although my enthusiasm for the characters uh, come mostly through the older runs on the on the book, Stanley and Jack Kirby's, which I'm sure we'll talk about in our in our main discussion, and and uh, John Byrne in in particular. So I haven't really read. The Fantastic Four's main book for a while, but this really uh, drew me back into the characters. The first part of the series really kind of starts off as like a love song to the to the classic errors uh, 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 of the characters, to the Kirby era, to the John Byrne era, and he you know he brings in all the kind of great villains and, and supporting characters. And so it feels very much uh, like a classic Fantastic Four series without feeling uh, like a throwback. It's, it's, it's at the same time very new. And what Hickman's run on the book does is to kind of bring the old era of the Fantastic Four to a close. And he introduces sort of a new uh, spinoff of the Fantastic Four. Uh, the series is called FF but it's uh, it stands for future foundation. So the story is really pretty interesting. At, at the heart of it is this sort of dilemma in the life of uh, of Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic, who is sort of the leader of, of of the team. Reed Richards if you don't know is a super gifted scientist polymath, uh, uh, he's a genius. And so he has always has this dilemma between being a family man and being a man of science. One of the one of the things I love about the Fantastic Four is really it's a book about family and friendship and extended family, and that's what this this run really captures well. Reed Richards discovers an alternate, like kind of a, a a multiverse. Uh, and like a a citadel in in like a neutral zone in the multiverse where versions of himself from dozens of different universes have have created this council to solve everything to really kind of just fix the universe. And, uh, and he gets really excited about the work that they're doing, but he finds out that the catch is that, well, you have to leave behind your family, and all that Fantastic Four business. We really have serious work to do. And so he's sort of pulled between this. There's lots of different plates spinning at the same time in this series. And that that's sort of the initial one. It's a continual story that, that builds and builds and builds. And there's lots of subplots going on at the same time. And it's, it's ongoing, which I imagine might be sort of frustrating if you were reading it month by month, year in and year out, but it makes for ideal uh, reading as, as binge reading. As a sort of solution, he uh, assembles a, a class of gifted youth to help address the world's problems and to really apply themselves to scientific solutions, and that's the Future Foundation. And so... It, these are sort of like Reed's children and his foster children. They include uh, Franklin, his son, Valeria, his daughter, who is something like five years old, but she's almost just as bright as he is, which is, it makes for a really interesting character because she's, uh, she's a super genius, but she's also five. <laughs> um, and, and they capture that really well. But then there's also all these other youngsters that they've taken in. There is the clone of the villain wizard, Bentley, who's really just a child. And he's sort of a precocious supervillain child. There are the highly evolved uh, moloid children from the Mole Man's kingdom. There is the Dragon Man, who is a robot dragon, you know. And so there's this great cast of characters and things really become sort of apocalyptic when franklin comes from the future to visit his sister valeria and and warns him of this impending uh, disaster this war of the four cities and and how you know their their only hope lies a uh, surprise surprise with doctor doom and, and and so that sort of starts the Main kind of thrust of the series, where there there's sort of one cosmic catastrophe after another. Mid kind of partway through the series, the Fantastic Four series stops, and the new FF story uh, story begins, and it's a whole new series with uh, new costumes and everything. And what I really love about it is Spider-Man joins the fun. Yeah. Spider-Man finally becomes a member of the Fantastic Four. You remember that in the first Spider-Man comic, he tried to join the Fantastic Four and was turned down. And uh, and Spider-Man's Fantastic Four suit looks awesome. You know, it's made of unstable molecules and so it could change from white to black. And he, he really looks cool and makes a great uh, addition to the team. So I mean, I, I could go on and on. It's a little hard to even you know, articulate how Epic! The storyline is, but it really is quite compelling. Very exciting reading in the classic Marvel Comics Fantastic Four, you know mold. So uh, definitely check this one out. And don't bother getting omnibuses; just uh, get a subscription to Marvel Unlimited, because that's I think that's the best way to read this and the cheapest and most affordable.
0: So, Father, what about what issue? does it start the the Hickman run
1: so uh, it, it starts I think it was uh issue 570 around there 5, 570 and then it goes up to 588 and the Fantastic Four series ends and then you know scroll through your your Marvel Unlimited find the FF series where that starts and then that goes to about issue twelve, right? Okay. And so this this is my one beef. It, it, it's 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 kind of unnecessarily complicated the way they did this. And then the Fantastic Four series starts up again, and suddenly it's issue six hundred, <laughs> right? Right. So uh-huh. it's confusing. And then you have two separate series running kind of concurrently, but they're really the same story. So you kind of have to read them like alternating between the FF and the Fantastic Four series, which is my, my one beef about it would, would be that. But uh, I, I found a little guide to the reading order that, uh, online, and I'm sure there's many of them you could, that you could well, a- assist you in your reading.
0: Father Matt, why don't we do this? Let's post a link on the episode page to that reading guide, because uh, I think that would sure. help a lot of people so
1: yeah yeah i i I definitely will
0: well thank you for that recommendation uh father matt that's a good one and especially today as we transition into our discussion about jack kirby jack kirby was born jack kurtzberg in 1917 he lived until 1994 and in between he was not just an artist uh, i think you know that's he was a fantastic artist uh but he was not just an artist i think it's m- more fair to say he was a creator and innovator and made uh some of the greatest creations in comics the fantastic 4 uh, the incredible hulk uh thor i mean he had a little help on thor from uh, norse mythology but uh you know yeah. the x men the new gods at dc and of course his most famous character that he created with joe simon captain america all of these incredible heroes and 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 plots and things like that that he did he uh uh, was one of the artists that drew the cover of captain america punching hitler in the face back in uh in the 40s um a lot of people don't remember this but he he basically invented the genre of romance comics later um, absolutely and, yeah, uh, yeah a know big innovation yeah br- uh, something that's uh, just now starting to come back but that was a, a really big deal in and of its time so you did all of this stuff and so my question to you guys is why don't we know who this guy is right because if you ask people you know i mean if you ask comic book people they know who jack kirby is but if you ask like The average person, you know, who created some of these characters, it's entirely possible they might come up with Stan Lee's name, but they won't come up with Jack Kirby's name. So why is that?
2: I my guess at it, and and this is a guess. My guess at it is that for the longest time, the um, the comic book industry was not as focused upon writers and artists as it is today. And I think that even non-comic book people today, um, people who kind of, you know, hang around the periphery of the comic book world and have some sense of it but aren't deeply involved in it the way that we would be, have some knowledge of the major creators and, you know, the writers and the artists. But for the longest time, you never had a creator's name on the cover of the comic book. You know, when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s and collecting comic books, You know, I would get comics, and I never knew who the artist was. I could identify people by the style, you know, and I liked that particular style, but names meant nothing to me Mm -hmm. at that point in time. It's only now, in hindsight, that I look back and they have value. So I think that, you know, because Kirby came up and was was such a force during the um, 40s through the 90s, when that really wasn't a big thing, he's just gotten lost stan lee has marketed himself right right i mean stan lee of course is the the master of marvel he's got his name out front on everything he, he's always out there but jack kirby uh, at least his personality seemed to be such that he was okay to hang behind the scenes so you know he just never made it into the public eye the way others did
0: stan lee invented that box in the in the first page of your comic sometimes it's at the end but the box that tells you the name of the issue and then tells you the creators, Stan mm-hmm. Lee often gets credited with being the one who, first one to say, we're going to do that. Um, oh, really? So, you know, I, I can I can see why, without taking anything away from Stan Lee, who is, you know, yeah. an important uh, figure and creator in his own right, but I can see how so much gets associated with Stan Lee.
1: It's it's true, because I think Stan Lee, Stan Lee was more than just the writer. He was sort of the... You know, the, he was the editor, you know, uh, uh, of Marvel Comics, and he was sort of the uh, public face of Marvel Comics. And uh, you know, it, talking about creative uh, comics, I, I think it's not really or creator-owned comic books. Rather, it's really not until um, around the the nineties with Image Comics, uh, where you had these all these rock star comic book artists from from marvel like rob Field, eric larson todd McFarlane, jim lee uh, the the artist started to be a big deal and they started to really push for creative rights creator control and recognition there really was a change that happened but jack kirby was the the original like comic book artist rock star <laughs> Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, really, it, he he was a force of nature from the earliest days of, of superhero comics up until the present where his name is still, you know, among cre- a comic book enthusiasts and comic book artists and creators. I mean, he's acknowledged he's the king. He's Jack Kirby. But this uh, lack of respect sort of follows Kirby throughout his career you know he, he kind of bounces back and forth from DC to Marvel and, 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 and you know uh, changes to landscape in both companies but he, he sort of he's never really kind of gotten the respect uh, that he, he really deserved
0: part of what makes Kirby so great we'll talk about his actual artistic style here in a minute but I think part of what makes Kirby so great is not just that he can draw well, you know? A lot of people can draw well. But he is a great storyteller Mm -hmm. and is able to use his ability to tell a great story. And especially when you start to think about in that era when Marvel starts to really explode with growth under Stan Lee, and of course Stan Lee invents the Marvel method well, what is the Marvel method? Well, the Marvel method is how they were able to have, you know, is how Stan Lee's able to write like 100 issues a year or or whatever it was he was writing, Um, is because basically Stan Lee would get together with an artist, and uh, so let's say it's Jack Kirby, gets together with Kirby, and they start talking about an idea. Maybe Stan has the idea, although if you read some of the things that he said Uh, Oftentimes, the idea might even come from Kirby first. So they get a basic idea, a basic plot together, and then Stan says, okay, go draw that. Kirby goes, draws an entire issue, (laughs) comes back to Stan, says, here's what happened in the issue, (laughs) panel by panel, gives him instructions on it, and then Stan Lee comes and fills in the dialogue and the bubbles that are already there. Now... Stan Lee's dialogue is kind of iconic if corny, but Kirby is a major storytelling force there. It's not he's not just, you know, the guy who's who's uh setting up the shots that Stan Lee is calling. Uh he is in many ways driving the plot of what's happening in those books and those stories, which is part of how he ends up creating some of the characters he does. So I was reading through one of these exchanges in an interview with Stan Lee and he was talking about how he'd basically said to Kirby, you know, I want uh, I want something I think, you know, thinking about with um, with the Fantastic Four and with some of these characters, I want something where they basically interact with, a, with God, or with a god uh, and that's about as far as they had gotten, and that leads to Kirby coming up with Galactus and with the beginning of the sort of Silver Surfer mythos and everything like that
1: well, and, and, and with the Silver Surfer I mean, Mm -hmm. the Silver Surfer just sort of appeared in Jack Kirby's pages. Mm -hmm. And Stan Lee says, who is that? (laughs) And, 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 well, Jack Kirby, well, you know, uh, he needs a herald, right? You know, he needs someone to, you don't think uh, someone as big time as Galactus is going to do all his legwork himself. And, And, I mean, for both Jack and Stan the silver surfer became one of their uh, favorite characters Mm -hmm. Um, and it became a major kind of battleground for them as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a bonkers idea, isn't it? Like, ah, well, I will have this guy. He's totally silver. He rides around on a surfboard in space. Yeah.
1: it can only (laughs) have sprung from the mad genius of Jack Kirby. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, it is interesting that, you know, that, that
2: marvel method in comparison with how things are done today and you can really see in that what a force jack kirby was and the other artists that marvel then by common practice but you look at today and i've been reading a lot of astro city rate recently in the graphic novel forms and occasionally in the back there'll be like one of kurt busiak's um his scripts And you can see that he writes out his scripts in a movie fashion. Like, everything's Mm -hmm. detailed in terms of the characters will move here and they'll do this and this is what they'll say. But this Marvel method is completely flipped around.
0: Mm -hmm. So
2: it's giving the artist a lot more control over where things are going. And that, you know, heightens the importance of someone like Jack Kirby.
0: Yeah, I think that's the shift that starts to take place in the 80s really because that's the sort of like the style of of an alan moore for instance is to write out everything with absolute detail and so the artist rather than being the creator of the story in the mood you know in the movie of the comic book almost becomes more like the director or you know because because he's setting up the shots basically
1: All right with, with but, alan moore he even pencil layouts mm-hmm. like for his scripts i i remember seeing his drawings for the violator when he was writing uh, that mm-hmm. book and i mean i almost liked alan moore's drawings better than <laughs> the ones in the, in, well, in the comic book
0: and and moore is i think sort of the extreme end of this in terms of how much detail he puts in and and uh, in terms of directing what happens uh, in the art but he's by far not the only example. I mean, Jeff Johns does what you're talking about, too. He draws sort of sketch panels that he sends to to the artists he works with as well. So I think that's it's become a much more writer-driven... This is going to sound like a weird analogy, but I almost feel like it's, it's, it's similar to the flip that's happened between artist and writer in comics is almost similar to the flip that's happened between DJ and MC in hip-hop. Because if you look at the first generation and a half of of rap music, the DJ was the center and he was the one who was calling the shots and the MC was somebody who was kind of jumping in and adding this thing to what was already being created. Whereas somewhere in the mid 80s that flips around and and you get people writing uh, raps first and the DJ comes in afterwards to add what he does.
2: It's so, good
0: analogy. Yeah. That's true. One more thing before we jump into the art style, I, just because I thought this was speaking of things that are kind of bonkers. So I, I was reading this article from a couple of years ago with Grant Morrison, where he was talking about some of his favorite comics of all time, and he just kind of drops this line into, you know, he's, he mentions uh, the new gods, actually, but he just kind of drops this line in about Kirby, where he says that Jack Kirby was the William Blake of comics, That's what he said. And (laughs) so I looked at that and I thought that's really interesting and I have no idea what it means. And of course, Morrison being Morrison does not explain at all. So um, (laughs) I I wonder what you guys think of that. Of course, William Blake being the the famous 18th century poet, tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forest of the night, you know, and so forth. Anyway.
1: Yeah, well, well I, I, I I read that too and I thought it was a very apt analogy. Because, you know, William Blake has this kind of mystical cosmic imagination that populates the world with these mythical, poetic personifications and and embodiments of of nature and his ideas as a poet you know uh, William Blake is really you know what we talked about in our last podcast he's a world builder and Jack Kirby is that kind of uh, he's a mystic visionary he his his vision is is one that's if you're really going to look for comparisons, you need to go to mythology and, and these sort of visionaries like, like William Blake. He sees something that's, you know, truly kind of, it's mythical in scope. I, I don't know how else to say it. You know, he, he makes new gods. <laughs> um, he's a myth maker. He's a world builder. That's what Kirby does. So I think the comparison with Blake is, is, very, is very on target. And, and there could be elements as
2: well in Morrison's quote with regard to that, that, you know, the the fact that Blake's a poet, there is something poetic about Jack Kirby's art. And I don't know how to define that. I'm sitting here trying to think of how you, how we actually put that into concrete terms. And I guess it's just too experiential for me to put it into any kind of language other than to say, for me, in just looking at Jack Kirby's art, I feel there's something poetic about it.
1: Yeah, po- poetic. And you know, not that Jack Kirby was a great writer, because he really wasn't. But he 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 told he painted just a, a story on this kind of grand cosmic scale. It's very uh, he, he's very much a visionary. I mean, where where is this stuff coming from? It's almost like he's channeling some sort of you know, pop culture muse or something. It feels almost, uh, I mean, not to be irreverent, but it feels almost like inspired, you know, channeled from another universe or something like that.
0: I found this quote interesting. So apparently there is a a Jack Kirby museum that is uh, in New York now. I did not know this, but when I was getting ready for the show and Googling around, I found it. And they have a little biography, of course, of Jack Kirby on their page. But I found this paragraph that talks about his burgeoning style of art really interesting. They say, His storytelling sense grew, and it was to be important, for it was most likely what led the youthful Kirby into comics instead of into serious illustration. From the start, his drawing style was never intended to emulate reality— or to provide any sort of photographic representation. Rather, it was to tell exciting, interesting stories. The Kirby conception of anatomy, for example, defies all manner of real physiology. It does, however, perfectly convey the idea of figures in motion. A semi-realistic caricature realistic to be identifiable and exaggerated for effect.
2: That's good, because that, that's probably the language that I was searching for in terms of saying there was something poetic about his artist mm-hmm.
0: artistry. Well, and it's interesting, too, because I read that, and I thought about it a little bit, and I thought, especially the example that they use there of anatomy, and I thought, by God, they're right. Because if you think of, like, early... Superman Batman stories and so forth you don't have the exaggerated physique (laughs) that kind of appears with Captain America um, and only gets more so you know once we get to the 60s and so forth and so I don't know if Kirby is alone responsible for that it may be others who were too but you do start to get that like crazy you know he doesn't have a six-pack he has a 12-pack kind of a (laughs) Um, yeah. you know, structure on these guys. And yet you never question it.
1: No, you know, no. right. <laughs> well, it, cause it, it hangs together so beautifully. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, in, in preparation for, for, for our talk, I was looking back at some of Jack Kirby's artwork. I really think, I mean, you know, his, his work from the sixties is probably with Stan Lee is probably the most celebrated, but, I really think that Jack Kirby reaches his peak as an artist in the 70s that it just becomes so uh, iconic the 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 interplay of, of, of you know shadow and shape he makes these machines and and these landscapes yeah. that are just I mean, they they could be out of a cubist painting. They don't exist in in this reality at all, but but they're, they're so just dynamic. One thing that Kirby's really well known for, just something that is immediately recognizable as Kirby, is what they call the Kirby crackle. You know what the Kirby crackle is? He does these fields of energy. Um, ah. And, and, and oh, then yeah. you know it's they float through space, you know, and they're made up of these black kind of masses. You know, it's depicting something that's almost like on a spiritual or mystical plane. I mean, you can just feel this power that just emanates from the page. You know, when when Galactus, you know, uh, you know is 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 you know floating above the Earth or. Annihilus is, you know, flying out of the negative zone and there's just this energy. I mean, what is it? It's, you know, it's just, it's it's Kirby Crackle. I I don't don't really know what it is, but it's just, you know, you know what it is and you feel its power.
0: It almost makes me wish that I could see what Kirby would do with the kind of artistic tools that are available now because it was like his brain was so far ahead of everybody else's and he drew these magnificent things and they do look wonderful but they are limited in a, in a certain way by the fact that they were done on newsprint you know and mm-hmm. um and the the colors don't don't entirely pop the way that that they can now because of the use of computer programming and stuff like that it would just it would be really interesting You know, because I feel like now, you know, like I think he was probably always pushing the limits of what he could do with the tools he had. I think now he might be almost unlimited. What would he come up with? What would those things look like?
1: I mean, you look at just what he did with in the 60s in the Fantastic Four. He did new things like using photo collage when Reed Richards goes into the negative zone. Jack Kirby did all sorts of things with with collage and and photography I mean I don't know if anybody else had done you know or was doing you know he kind of expanded what was possible visually in in, in the comic book it's sort of interesting I mean there's there's places to go for the example of like kind of Kirby's great uh, artwork and storytelling Um, and I think it in the 60s, it's the Fantastic Four. But, you know, he was drawing so many books in the 60s that, you know, some of them are kind of dashed off. <laughs> um, besides just doing all those superhero books, he was doing, like, romance books and stuff like that at the same time. And they were really working him to the bone. I mean, so you look at the first issue of X-Men, for example – the the printing and everything if you see it in its original copy is just sort of shoddy that's that's what i mean when when he sort of gets off and he's left to his like own his own devices like when dc kind of gives him creative freedom with the fourth world uh, his artwork really kind of i think uh comes to its own and in those uh later works he did for marvel as well like the eternals and and, and and things like that
0: father matt have you ever read any of those uh, romance comics that he did
1: oh absolutely
0: are, wh- <laughs> what are they like I've, I've only ever really seen covers uh, yeah i've never actually read them
1: They're, they are delightful uh, so you can pick up <laughs> you can pick up a, um a, a trade paperback that i um that I and I some of them might be on Marvel Unlimited. I haven't thought to look, but I had it I have a trade paperback somewhere. Okay. Where did you a, get it? I, I bought it at the comic book store. Oh okay. Um, and it's it, it was young romance and it goes from like basically like the fifties through the sixties and into the seventies. And a lot of it was uh, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. So it's like it's the same team that brought you the Fantastic Four and the Hulk they're writing like these like super like campy like romance stories and it's like the, the, the guys are always kind of like Reed Richards they're like these professor types they, yeah. Jack Kirby always makes a guy have like a pipe you know and like, kind of like a cardigan <laughs> uh-huh. and you know and, they're, it, it, and you know with Stan Lee's writing you can only imagine how cheese ball it is but they're, they're a lot of fun
0: Son of a gun! There it is. So I just found uh, Young Romance, the best of Simon and Kirby's romance comics. Oh, yeah, there it they, is! There it is! I see it. Marvel Romance, Stanley.
1: There it goes. Well, Unless um, we forget, look. he he also in the fifties uh, did uh, some uh, awesome kind of monster comics yes, too. Yes, and and Jack, nobody can make monsters like Jack Kirby. Uh, in fact. The character that everybody is sort of gaga about now um, from the Guardians of the Galaxy, Groot, mm-hmm. um, started off as a Marvel monster character uh, in Jack Kirby. Really? I believe that's, that's a fact, yeah. Uh, oh, I never knew that. That's yeah. interesting.
0: Well, and of course, you know, one of his greatest and most famous creations is a superhero who is a monster, the Incredible Hulk.
1: Yeah, definitely a kind of joining together of the two genres. And the Fantastic Four started off as sort of a joining together of the sci-fi genre and the superhero genre. So the Fantastic Four is a little bit similar to another creation of Jack Kirby's from earlier. I believe it's earlier, the Challengers of the Unknown, which are sort of like a team of scientists that go out and explore uh, strange new worlds and and, and things like that. Which, you know, also brings us to Jack Kirby's influence outside uh, of, of the comic book world. I think you could make an argument that his work, The New Gods, was a significant influence on... George Lucas in, in in developing Star Wars. I mean, can you guys see some of the similarities there? Yeah, certainly. Now that you say it, yeah.
0: Has Lucas said that anywhere that he's did he read those books or?
1: I, I, yeah, I, I don't know if Lucas has said it, but certainly uh, people who uh, um, who he kind of pitched the idea to. Um, I remember reading someone saying um, that their initial a- initial impression was, "Yeah, that sounds a little bit like the New Gods." Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. okay, so look at look at the villain, um, Dark Side.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, no. Yeah. And, well.
1: <laughs> and, yeah, and and and, um, and Orion, who um, you know doesn't realize that he's Dark Side's son. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, and, and it kind of has this, you know youngian mythical scope to it epic i mean and then maybe the most blatant thing is the source Mm. in, in in the new gods you know which is the source of orion's power you know it's 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 sort of the quasi mystical force that that exists in the new gods universe you know, it, it, the High Father is sort of like a, a, a priest of the uh, of the Force or the Source, rather. Of course, Dark Side uses it. You know, in, in an evil way. I mean, he has the anti-life equation. There's sort of this light versus dark dualistic <laughs> kind of uh, element that exists in the New Gods. The characters in the New Gods. Uh, I mean, their names are are like some of them come directly from mythology orion Mm -hmm. you know it's sort of a name from mythology but also the bible the high father it it, it looks like moses he has a magic staff like moses the source writes its messages with its finger upon a wall like in in, in the book of daniel Mm. um you have characters with names like isaiah you have but he also is borrowing from shakespeare uh, the Tempest, uh, the character Calabac is sort of very similar to the uh, figure of Caliban in, in, in Shakespeare's Tempest um, but you know his initial idea for the New Gods which you know as long as we're talking about it, it's probably one of my favorite things that Jack Kirby's ever done and its scope was just too big, it just couldn't be contained for for the, the comic book you know, he's, he's borrowing all, all through, and he initially thought about it as a story in the Marvel Universe. It's so it kind of begins with the death of the old gods, you know, in, in this conflagration, uh, sort of like Ragnarok, or, or, you know, and, and from this battle between the gods, two new planets emerge, Apocalypse and New Genesis. So you know, it has this kind of huge biblical scope. I mean, this story, this story almost begins like Genesis, like in the beginning. You know, um, it's 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 biblical in its scope and its 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 proportions. It's it's just really a a, a fantastic series. And it's like he barely got started with this epic tale before it got canceled. <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't he,
2: very well received initially. No,
0: it was not
2: have a massive impact on DC's whole future, right? I mean, the way that the dark side and Mr. Miracle and Orion have gone on to play roles and Barda. I was,
0: was going to say, let's not forget big Barda.
2: <laughs> yeah. All um, of them have gone on to have such an important part in DC's world. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just a testimony to his creation that even though it didn't, it wasn't initially received well, it, it's had a lingering effect.
0: There are other things we could explore, too, you know, the the kind of breakup that he had with Marvel, which wasn't entirely amicable, at least at the time, and that kind of thing. But I'd be more interested, you know, everybody, people can Google that stuff. I'd be more interested to hear just personally from you guys what, uh, in terms of Kirby's creations, what have been the most impactful to you, maybe Father Kyle, you want to um, start with you
2: yeah I, I mean I would say that the biggest character that Kirby had a hand in creating that's that's been impactful for me has been the silver surfer he's always been one of my favorite characters, and Kirby and Stanley's initial take on him was very different from what he became under um, Stanley and John Buscema later and then under John Byrne and and later writers, of course, all the way up to Dan Slott today. But, um, you know, very early on, Silver Surfer's character was a lot more of an Old Testament prophet type of a figure. You know, as we mentioned earlier in the episode, um, he was kind of plunked in there as this god Galactus needed a herald, and that herald was equated with the Old Testament prophets. and. You know, one of the sharp contrasts that gets developed later on when he gets taken over by Stanley and John Buscema is that he turns into something of a Christ figure, although laden with some early heresies of the church, perhaps. But uh,
1: <laughs> but he definitely
2: begins to move from that perspective of being an Old Testament prophet into more of a messianic, merciful, compassionate figure. But. You know, I think that that early work they've done has really shaped the character in some interesting ways and had a big impact on me. And um, without a doubt, I would say just by virtue of his own creation, uh, Captain America has had a huge impact in my own comic book interest. And um, I'm only now kind of going backwards and discovering some of the 1940s Captain America stuff. Because it's been made available through Marvel Unlimited, I feel like we're plugging Marvel Unlimited today, but go ahead and uh subscribe
0: yeah. if anyone at Marvel sure if anyone at Marvel would like to uh, give us free subscriptions for the next year
2: that's right
1: you know, that would be one.
0: we wouldn't say no <laughs> uh Father Matt, how about you?
1: Well I mean I already talked at length about the new gods that really captured my imagination um, and i already talked about the fantastic four i mean one of the marvel's best stories ever has to be the original story w- with galactus and, and, and father kyle talked about that in, in connection uh with the silver surfer but one of jack kirby's great creations that i really love is the demons jason blood and and who 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 transforms into the character itrigan uh who who goes by the title the demon i i i love those old uh kirby comic books of the demon i i remember going to um you know flea markets and things and just buying back issues of that and just being completely just captivated by that you know, and the way he he brings in the Arthurian mythos through that, and, and the demon who who went on to be a pretty big character in the Marvel universe, and was written by people like Alan Moore and Matt Wagner did a great series on, on the demon. He's just an awesome character, I think, and you know, probably a little ironic that I have so much love for the demon. <laughs> but. Uh, but also the Black Panther. I mean, you know, as, as, as far as we're talking about Jack Kirby's innovations, the first black superhero, <laughs> I mean, it comes from Jack Kirby and Stanley. Lee, but uh, Jack Kirby actually wrote the Black Panther uh, when he returned to Marvel in, in, in the 70s. And those are, are just a lot of fun, too. Just the way that he draws the Wakandan uh, nation with its kind of combination of like traditional african culture and like you know super advanced technology which is just a perfect brew for jack kirby and i, I just say this i mean jack kirby's artwork in general as like as a, a young kind of artist who, who really enjoyed drawing I, I tried to draw exactly like jack kirby you know when, when i was a kid and, you know, I could pull off a pretty, you know, decent imitation, but like, you know, I learned how to draw through looking at, at, at Jack Kirby's artwork and just the way he he draws a mouth, you know, the way he draws an eye. You know, I, I just, you know, I, I, I uh, imitated that quite, you know, I, I guess every artist starts off imitating. And, you know, that was definitely where I started with Jack Kirby.
0: <laughs> For me, it's got to be the X-Men. I mean, it just it just has to be. And uh, it's not very obscure, I suppose. But it's but it it was such a a mark on my childhood reading the X-Men. And particularly, you know, when I was a kid, the book that I read the most was uh, X-Men Classic, which, of (laughs) course, was republishing all of these early X-Men stories Father Matt said earlier and he's right if you look at the first issue of X-Men it does kind of look dashed off but nevertheless just the whole idea of the X-Men and the mythos of it and the you know for me as a kid and I'm sure for a lot of people I think I think most people in the world feel like a little bit like outsiders and especially you know when you're creative or or what have you to suddenly have this idea like oh well there's actually these this special thing that can be happening inside of people and it's very different from person to person but it's it's all you know okay and it's you know it's moving in this uh, other sort of direction like i found that to be very appealing Uh, the idea of all these characters where you could go okay so what is what is the thing that's happening with you um and um you know what's your power what's your thing that's coming out of you And uh, having that combined with the sort of me against the world aspect of the X-Men, that everybody is kind of trying to go after mutants. But really, you know, this is this is something that if it's allowed to flourish in the right way, can be celebrated instead. Um, Okay, well, there's, uh, as always, a lot more that we could say about Jack Kirby. Um, Would love to know what some of you all think, what your experience with him is, or even if you've never heard of him before, what? What, uh, what your thoughts are after hearing this conversation. So uh, please do tell us about it by going on over to uh, our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash God and Comics, or you can tweet at us. Uh, we are at God and Comics on Twitter. But for now, we are going to move into our final segment, This or That.
1: This or That.
0: This or That. Come on, everybody, let's this or that.
2: Huh?
0: Father Kyle... Go for oh, it. Oh,
2: right. Uh, Superman's gal pal Lois Lane or Batman's gal pal Vicki Vale?
0: Gal pal? Wow. <laughs> that's,
2: that's how they were described in the
0: Gal past. pal. <laughs> oh, out of those choices, I would, I would certainly go with Lois Lane. My favorite Lois Lane stories are when she is a reporter uh, who is just after the truth at all cost and you know just goes crazy with it. The other thing is Netflix just recently got all the Christopher Reeve Superman movies, which I've been rewatching in order um with my kids. And so watching you know Margot Kidder keep getting, and...
1: getting better, don't, they? don't <laughs> they?
0: Well
2: actually I just rewatched them all like I, I... a month ago. They were great. They're
0: they're 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 pretty they're no, pretty they amazing. Cool. Actually I you know here's the thing. I watched these movies as a kid and you're gonna think this is ridiculous. I did not get that Superman three was a comedy when no, I was a kid. Of not, no. It just did not register. And so now I'm watching it, you know, for the first time as an adult, and I'm like, of course, it's Richard Pryor. Of course, yeah. the thing is a comedy, and it's actually like pretty funny. There's a yes. lot of the pratfalls, uh, and you know... you know,
1: I haven't seen that one in years. I mean, I might have been like. Thirteen. The last time I saw that one. Yeah. Yeah. It had been a long time
2: for me, and I ended up uh, just watching them. I and I watched the Richard Donner cut of Superman oh, two. Yeah. The
0: original
1: cut. So they're on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm all over
0: it. All four of. Now I haven't gotten to uh, Superman four yet, which is I probably the haven't seen since it came out. The sun guy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And throws I all the. I remember
1: being way into that when I was a kid. Like this is definitely the best one. <laughs> and it was it's it was still enjoyable it
0: was definitely the one that that got the uh, least uh, critical acclaim <laughs> yeah but uh we shall yeah. see but and yet i fully expect it to be far better than man of steel so
2: mm. there you go they, you know why it's funny because i watched all four of the superman christopher reeve movies then watched man of steel and batman superman in one weekend that oh i had God. a free weekend my family was away and uh, and I have to say the same thing. I walked away thinking, you know what? These Christopher Reeve movies are certainly better, even if they get cheesy at certain points. They're just—it's
1: Superman. It's See, Superman. Yeah. It, it, if it doesn't get cheesy at certain points, it's not Superman. Right.
0: This would okay. have been a this would have been a great like in Comics retreat. The three of us just like <laughs> yeah, go go off it. somewhere and watch those movies and you know let's eat cheese.
1: Maybe Come we ought the to do Spiritual this. Spiritual Life Center up here in Albany, the there you Christ go. the King Spiritual Life Center, Greenwich, yes. New York. we looking could looking for a retreat.
2: Check that out. Yeah, we could offer this. It could have daily, you know, the daily office said a couple times a day. This
0: is a brilliant idea.
2: And you know, uh, I'm getting more
1: and more excited. Yes.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> some okay. Breakout sessions. Stay tuned, friends. There, I'm sure there will be some sort of Kickstarter opportunity that will. <laughs> That will evolve from this, anyhow. All right.
2: Well, let's move on. Father Matt, Captain America, Steve Rogers, or Captain America, Sam Wilson?
1: I always liked Steve Rogers until he turned out to be a agent. <laughs> but I, I, you know,
0: I don't, I don't even know where that has gone yet. Oh, it's, it's, it's of course not really him. Of course it's, not. You know. Of course not. Well, I, I,
1: I mean, Steve Rogers, I mean, there's just... I
0: mean, it is him, but it's its not.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure.
0: <laughs> I don't want to give oh, away too much. I, I'm but... sure, I know, yeah. I
1: mean, of course. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's just more to draw from, from Steve Rogers. I mean, Sam Wilson's pretty pretty new in the role of Captain America. Although, although I love uh, Sam Wilson, I love the Falcon. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm going to go with Steve Rogers,
2: though. Your choice of television show, The Brady Bunch or The Partridge Family?
0: Uh, pfft. Do I have to uh, do no. one or the other of those? <laughs> um, I guess The Brady Bunch? I don't know.
2: Not a fan of either?
0: Not really, no. <laughs> the
2: Brady Bunch is the wise choice. I just binge-watched the entire series of The Brady Bunch while I, I had the it. flu. <laughs> I did.
0: Wow. Okay.
2: Marcia, <laughs> it's just Marcia Marcia. Wholesome wholesome mindless entertainment.
0: Well, given my my unnatural love of murder she wrote, I suppose I can't judge you too harshly.
2: That's right. <laughs> Father Matt. Uh this is in reference to television again, the Batman 66 show or the Wonder Woman 77 show.
1: Probably Batman 66. I mean, I remember seeing the Wonder Woman show when, when it was in syndication, but not quite as religiously and as frequently. It doesn't loom in my memory quite as strongly as, as the Batman 66, which, you know, was just a staple of, of my childhood. Although I, 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 I went back and watched pilot episode of the original Wonder Woman, which was streaming for free on Amazon and uh, and watched it with my with my daughter. And, and we really loved it. And uh, we're, we're hoping to get the, the DVD set to watch the, the whole series over again. So, so I, have, I have
0: all three seasons of Wonder Woman on DVD and I have the whole um, Batman 66 series on, on Blu-ray. So um, that there—that's th- our retreat.
2: There you go. <laughs> Good choice. Go. I'm up for that. The uh, you know DC is right now. Um, they've done it as a digital first, but it's coming out in um, print form this month. Uh, crossover that's Batman sixty six and Wonder Woman seventy seven.
0: Nice.
2: Yeah. Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. And
0: they—they're also they're doing a dynamite series now. That's. Um, wonder woman meets the bionic woman oh cool dynamite in dc together
2: all right father jonathan saint augustine or saint augustine or saint jerome
0: i thought for a minute it was going to be saint augustine or saint augustine which would have been interesting <laughs> i would i guess saint augustine i would go with saint augustine any particular reason both great figures in the church um i think saint augustine uh, had the ultimately had the greater impact um, really the basis for a tremendous amount of um, western theology plus he's the um, the doctor of love um, which sounds like a you know late night dj on a um, smooth uh, jazz station or something but uh, yeah there you go
2: yeah
1: now entering the pulpit the doctor, the
0: doctor of love
1: doctor of love <laughs> Um, uh, although, have have you heard the Dion uh, song, The Thunderer, which is a, a tribute to St. Jerome? No. <laughs> oh, it, it's great. St. Jerome, the great name caller. We have to put a link up to that. Oh, yes, yeah. certainly
2: I do. All right. Uh, Father Matt, chocolate chip mint
1: ice cream or Rocky Road ice cream? Chocolate chip mint ice cream, which... Uh, is a long-time favorite of mine uh, from when I was a kid, mostly because it was green. All right, Father Jonathan, Blue
2: Beetle or Booster Gold?
0: Um, Blue Beetle.
2: Why do you say that?
0: Because Booster Gold is a ridiculous character.
2: <laughs> All right, Father Matt, last one is for you. The Fantastic Four or The New Gods?
1: Oh, uh, probably the Fantastic Four, if only because their 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 characters are are sort of um, more enduring as, as you know as personalities. All right, that's all I got for you today.
0: Okay, well then that's all we've got for our our episode. But be sure, especially because we mentioned a lot of uh, great stuff this time around, be sure to head on over to our website goddencomics.com and you can click on the God and Comics podcast link and look at the show page. We always put links up there to uh, all of the rad stuff that we talk about and today will be no exception so you can find out a lot more great stuff there and re-listen to the show there. Uh God and Comics is subscribable through iTunes. And while you're over on iTunes, if you wouldn't mind rating the show and uh, giving it a review, if you have the time to do that, that would be great. It really does help other people to find us, so, so please, do, uh, please do that if you're able to do so. Our theme music, which you are hopefully banging your head to right this very minute, is by Father Paul Wheatley, whose own Unbelievable Physique Uh, was, in fact, the model for which Captain America was based all those years ago. (laughs) Until next time, I'm Father Jonathan Michikin.
1: I'm Father Kyle Tomlin. Tomlin. I'm Father Matt
2: Stremper.
0: And we'll see ya.